0: This morning as we are looking at these first chapters, because now we're going to be looking at big sections of Scripture for the entire year. And if you do your reading and follow along and listen to the podcasts of our daily Bible reading, you'll have a good idea of where we are. If you don't, you're still going to come to church on Sunday mornings and we're still going to take you through all of Scripture, so you'll still get a a summary as we move through. Today we're calling our message the First Family of Faith. But before I look at the book of Genesis, I'd like to throw some names out to you and see if you can tell me what these people have in common. Wayne Gretzky, Kevin McHale, Ted Williams, and Mike Singletary. Professional sports. sports. Somebody last night said Hall of Fame. They're all Hall of Famers in their particular fields. Somebody said hockey. Not all hockey, because... Ted Williams, obviously, and Wayne Gretzky. They were all amazing, great athletes, and they were all terrible coaches. They totally failed when they took all their achievements on the field and brought them to being head coaches. Now, let's contrast that. This should be easier for you. Phil Jackson, Tony LaRussa, and Bill Belichick. What do they all have in common? They're great coaches who were terrible players. They all had failed careers. Because frequently, those who do great in something don't have a lot to be able to teach somebody else. But when we struggle, when somebody has the tough times, then they can work with others. So as we look at Scripture, we are learning from what we would call probably or expect to find the spiritual giants, the great people of Scripture. Scripture. So we go there and we think, oh, if these people are going to teach us something, they must be at constant peace. They must never compromise. These must be people who always get it right. My answer is wrong. If you go to the book of Genesis and you expect that you're going to find perfect people, you're going to discover that it's just the opposite. Because if they were perfect and they got life perfect, they'd have nothing to teach you. Amen? I don't know about you, but I don't want to read about somebody who just has everything perfect in life. As my wife is fond of saying, Stan, you get up and you preach all this stuff about how we should live our lives and God's calling us to live our lives. Why don't you put it into practice in your own life? (laughs) I said, honey, if I get it all right, what would I talk about on Sunday morning? (laughs) That's why Genesis gives us the Bible's first family. It starts out with Abraham and Sarah or Earlier, before their names were changed, they were Abram and Sarai, Isaac and Rebekah, and we will continue through. Those are the ones we're dealing with so far. They are people of faith, and yet they mess up. Amen? We heard it today in the scripture reading. Just listen. You can't read the stories without saying, these are messed up human beings. These are people who are struggling to get it right, struggling to trust God, but simply take their will back. And so I'd like to pose a question, and we're going to look at it in the text. If you listened this last week, you came to a story about Abraham, who finally has a child. He and and Sarah, they finally have a child. And now God asks them to do the most impossible thing. God says, take this child who's been born to you, your only child, and take him and lay him there and sacrifice him. Now, people just get shocked with that story, but it's right there in Genesis. Lay him out and show me you totally trust me. And Abraham takes his child and binds him up and lays him there to sacrifice. Now, I have to be honest. My dad told this story one time as he was preaching a sermon. And I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary, and I was in high school at the time. And he said, here's something you need to know about this story. Not only did Abraham get to the point where he trusted God, look at that amazing trust that the son has in his father. Why, if I took my son up and I bound him, he would trust me. I shouted from the back of the sanctuary, no, I wouldn't, dad. Why was Abraham willing to do this? If these are messed up people, what got him there? I say that because I'm a dad, I'm a parent, and I'm a grandparent, and let's be honest, parents, grandparents, trusting our children to God is one of the most difficult things that any of us are asked to do. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say that again. Trusting our children to God is one of the most difficult things we're asked to do. Amen? We struggle when they go to kindergarten. We struggle when they want to have a sleepover with their friends. We want, to know, we want to do a criminal background check on the parents. And we certainly struggle when they get in the car for the first time and they drive out of the driveway and we tell our pastor and he says, well, everybody's insurance rates just went up in town. And we laugh. But that's because it's hard. It's hard to trust God with that which is most precious in our lives. So how did Abraham and Sarah get there? Well, to understand them and to understand the first family of faith, there's some things we need to understand about how we live out our faith. And no, it's not they were perfect and they got it right from the beginning and they trusted in God and therefore everything went well. It begins as it begins with all of us with half measures. Because if we're honest in our life, that's usually where we start with God. We trust, and probably most of us are still there in our lives right now. We have these half measures where we trust God, we pray, Lord, I'm having a problem here, and I'd like you to take care of it. And then we go and we meddle and we do our own thing because we don't really trust God. We don't really believe that God's going to deal with it. It doesn't mean we don't do work ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But we go manipulate the other person to do our will. Or we have other situations where we're asked to trust God and we only trust halfway. We think of the story of Abraham and Sarah beginning with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12. But it actually begins in Genesis chapter 11. The problem is it doesn't begin with Abraham. How many of you know the name Abraham? Come on, put your hands up. This is a audience participation. How many of you know the name Sarah? We do. How many of you have thought about the name Tara in the Bible? A few. You can raise your hand, Tom. We're proud of you. Tom does. Well, the story of Tara is one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. It's found before chapter 12 in chapter 11 as we read these words in verses 30 and 31. Sarai, remember again, she becomes eventually Sarah. Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram. Eventually, he'll be Abraham. So Terah takes his son Abram and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, Abram's wife, and his grandson, Lot, and they moved from Ur the Chaldees. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at haran And settled there. Abraham's father's name was Terah. Terah was given a request by God take your family, trust me, and move from modern day Iraq to modern day Israel. It was a trip of 1,500 miles. They're going to go by foot. And so this is the Fertile Crescent. This is why we call it the Fertile Crescent. So they travel up north. They travel 1,000 miles by foot. That's pretty good, isn't it? I don't know about you, but 1,000 miles by foot, that sounds like I've done a pretty good job. Yeah. Problem is, it was only two-thirds away. There was another 500 miles to go. And so they get to this place, Haran, and Abram's father, Terah, makes it two-thirds of the distance, It's a half measure, and we don't even remember his story. That's what happens with half measures. We're fond of saying often half measures avail us little. Often they avail us nothing. At the same time, in that same text, we're introduced to a young woman, Sarai. She's probably 16 years old. And she's gotten married to this guy Abram and their family supposedly trusting God. They're going, they're going to make this long trip. They make it two-thirds way. The, the father at the time, Tara, settles down and they're struggling because she can't have a child and that's going to be the challenge of their life the rest of their lives. What does it mean that this woman cannot have a child, that Abram and Sarai, eventually Abraham and Sarah, cannot have children? Will they trust God 100%? But it doesn't begin with trusting 100%. It begins with a half measure. You see, the family was partly trusting and facing their biggest challenge. We all have areas in our life where we need to trust God, do we not? We all have areas in our life where we need to trust God, do we not? Amen. Amen. Every one of us. What are we going to do? Are we going to do it halfway or are we going to go two-thirds way? With our family, will we continue the patterns of people who have compromised? Or will we say, I'm not going to follow God two-thirds way, I'm going to do it completely. How about in our work? We go to workplaces and people are compromising. And we decide, well, I'm not compromising as much as them. They gossip more than me. I only gossip half as much as them. So I'm doing okay. They're negative all the time. I'm only negative on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Or in our personal life? Will we give up and do the same thing over and over again because the work is too hard and we're expecting this time it's going to be different? I think that's not only called a half measure, that's called stupidity. Didn't work yesterday, but maybe if I do it today it will work. Half measures are such a huge part of living our life. And so, like Abraham and Sarah Not being able to have a child, we face our issues. What's our response? Now, I'm fond of talking about my parents, and I always put them in positive light because I had great parents. My dad was a pastor. My mom and dad did something that's unimaginable to me. They left the comforts of New England to move out to the Dakotas where my dad was a pastor out on the prairie. Now, I did the opposite. I came from the prairie out here, And I came in the 1980s, and it was a whole lot easier. When my dad and mom moved out to the prairie, they had homes where they had outhouses. Now, that may not be a problem in New England where it only goes down to 10 degrees above, but that's a problem in North Dakota where it goes to 40 degrees below zero. They served churches where my dad didn't get paid because the congregation couldn't afford to pay them. And so they were reliant on donations of food from members of their congregation. And my dad took other jobs. And my mom became a piano teacher. And my dad became a piano tuner. And they did all kinds of stuff just to get through. And it's amazing the life of faith that they have. But in conversations with my dad, he was honest with me about one thing. He said, you know, I did compromise on my education. I was a good son. I was like, Daddy, you did a great job. He goes, No, I always had a goal of going to Princeton. I was raised south of Boston, and I was. Now, you've got to understand, my dad's a whole lot smarter than I ever can hope to be. I always like to say, My dad and my son are smarter than me. I kind of got stuck in between the two of them. <laughs> got his college education, and he moved out to the prairie, so obviously he couldn't go to Princeton. And I said, but you didn't have an opportunity. He said, yes, I did. He said, one of the churches where I served, I served there for 10 years. About 40 miles away, there was a seminary. And I could have got my education. I could have got my master's degree. I chose not to do it. I put it off. I kept putting it off. And then I figured it didn't matter. And I talked to people who said, well, you don't really need to do it. And towards the end of his life, that was a regret he had. He said it was a compromise, and he said, please don't make the same mistake. Break the pattern. Get your master's degree. So when Regina and I moved out here, a much easier job moving from the Midwest to New England in the 1980s, we also came out for the purpose of getting our education. And now the question was, would we continue? Would I continue to do the hard work? Because there were times when it was hard and it was discouraging. And then we faced our test. Our test didn't come in 1982, it actually came in 1986, four years later, as I was going part-time to school and, and we were serving a church in Lowell. And we went to the movie theater to watch a movie. You probably have heard of it, Hoosiers. Have any Hoosiers fans here? It's one of my favorite movies, We'll Talk After Church. It's about a coach in the Midwest in Indiana, in a small town. And everybody else is caught up with the, with the movie and the storyline. Regina and I were caught up with the Midwest and the little town and where we came from. And we left the theater, and my wife was literally sobbing. Not because of the movie. I love the movie. But it just hit us of, that's what we've left. That's what we missed. I'm sorry, folks, I'm a little town guy from North Dakota. Like, moving back to Weinmere sounds great. Last summer, Regina and I were on a farm out in the middle of the Dakotas, and Regina said to me, honey, we could retire here really comfortably. Plenty of area for our dog and nobody to bother us. That's the temptation. And I turned to her as we were talking that day, and I said, should we go back? She goes, no, we're moving forward. The temptation comes for every one of us. Will we go back to what's comfortable? Will we stop part way? Or will we continue to go forward? And we all face it. Sometimes it's in a movie theater watching a movie. Sometimes it's something that hits us in our lives. Am I going to compromise? Am I going to go two-thirds? Or am I going to trust God no matter what? Am I going to continue forward knowing my parents are getting older, knowing that we wouldn't be with our parents when they face the most difficult times in their life, including my wife, who had to go through her parents' health decline, being far away. Will we stay faithful to where we believe God's calling us? And then the last conversation with my mom, this happened about 20 years ago. Now, I'm sure I had other conversations before she had her stroke, but the last one that I remember, that we sat down and we had a really in-depth conversation. I was living in Waynesville, and I came down, and my mom was visiting, and she was sitting on the couch, and she was looking at an issue of Christianity today, and she said, I found something for you. Be careful when your mother says that to you. <laughs> What's that, mom? A doctor of ministry. I said, are you kidding? She goes, no, you should go back to school. You should do the last degree that's offered to you. Now, it took me 20 years, but during the pandemic, I enlisted in the of ministry program. Sorry, moms, we don't always listen to you that quickly. But I've known along the way that if I end now, I haven't been fully faithful. I need to go the rest of the direction. And there are times, folks, when it's been hard. This last fall, working on a doctor ministry with all of the other things that I've had, with being told you have to read 2,000 pages in this course and the same in this course, and you've got to write an 18-page paper, and it's not been easy. But I've also known that I don't want in my life to do a half measure. But notice I didn't do it the day that my mother said it. You see, half measures a lot of times are part of our lives, and I have lived with that. Am I going to complete it? And that's a question for all of us. Where are we on half measures? Because the first family of faith started with half measures. They didn't start with getting it all right. And in our lives, there's places where we will and there's places where we won't, and it's part of the process of growing in our faith, of realizing that there's always areas of our lives where we're compromising and denying it and and putting it under the carpet and looking the other way and acting like it's not there doesn't make a difference. It doesn't solve it for us. But the faith aspect of Abraham and Sarah is they needed to know that they were going to continue the journey, and that's what they did. And so Abraham is a guy with Sarah who make the whole journey, and we remember them, and the dad kind of gets forgotten, but I don't think he should be, because he was also a man of faith, and he also became the person and the reason for why Abraham and Sarah were able to complete the journey. And in our lives, that's what God invites us to look at. Where are we settling for our half measures? And are we willing to move forward with God and realize that those areas, no matter how difficult they may be, no matter how many years we've put it off, maybe God speaks to us today and says, it's time to start dealing with that in your life. Because otherwise, we never get the full blessing that God wants to do in our lives. Amen? I'm going to say that again. If we only go two-thirds way, we never get the full blessing God wants to give in our lives. Amen? Amen. And that's what we start seeing with this family. Not a perfect family who has it figured out, but the Kevin McHale, not the Kevin McHale, but the Bill Belichicks, who messed it up themselves and couldn't perform perfectly, but now can help us understand because God is the hero of the Scripture, not these people. We're just going to read about normal, common, everyday people like you and me who mess it up, but remind us that we can move forward and we can do better, which takes us to faith because that's all about faith. And so in Genesis 15, we now see this son and now the father has passed away and now it's his moment. And in verses 5 and 6, we're told the Lord takes Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky, now count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it as righteousness because of his faith. So Abram and Sarai had made it now to Canaan, but there was still something missing. Remember, we read about her at the very beginning of the story. This young 16-year-old girl, she couldn't have a baby. She still couldn't have a baby. And now they've been married, what, 20 years, 30 years? And they still don't have a child. And are they going to trust God completely? That becomes a question of Genesis. Will this couple ever get it and totally trust God and realize that no matter what, no matter if God blesses or God doesn't, no matter if it happens how they want it or it doesn't, no matter if it happens in their timing, remember God's timing is not our timing, will they trust when it's not done in their timing? And the Bible seems to be clear. Abram and Sarah had made it to Canaan. And in the ancient world, having a child was everything. And now God asks Abram to do something that only God can do. Count the stars, Abram. I challenge you to do the same tonight or the next night that there is no clouds in the sky and come back and report to me. Count every one of them. You know the problem is? God knew he couldn't count the stars. Only God knows the number of the stars. So God said to Abram, do something you can't do that I can do. And Abram at that moment said, I get it. You can count the stars, I can't. And now God said, and I can give you a child, but you can't make it happen. (laughs) Same thing that happens in our lives, the question of faith. Where do I need to trust God and what am I not trusting God for? And so it gets counted to him as righteous. Not what he did, but the fact that he trusted God, and so now God's grace is happening in his life. And now, if you have been listening to Genesis, you know that he screws it up every single chance he has after that. That's what makes such a great story. Because if he walked out of there, and he trusted God, and he just is like perfect, there's nothing to talk about, is there? Because I don't know about you, but that's not how I live my life, as much as I want to, I still take my will back, amen? Amen. Because that's our life and that's our journey. And so it's not that God's going to punish us. It's God's grace continues to work in our lives as we are asked trust. And so Abram and Sarai are traveling along. And God said, remember, the two of you are going to have children. And they see Pharaoh. And fear grips them. Pharaoh's going to kill us. Well, he can't kill you, Abram. Then you can't have a child, okay? Get it? That's the point of the story. You can't die because if you die, you're not gonna have a child. So, what does he do? He takes his wife and he says, She's my sister. Disgusting? Yes. Built out of fear? Absolutely. Why? Because at that moment, he's not trusting God, even though he's believed God. Sounds like us, doesn't he? (laughs) I believe you, God, but I'm still gonna do it my way on Thursday, and then I'll check in with you on Friday. But he didn't learn his lesson. After that, he sees King Abimelech, and they do the same thing again. Knuckleheads. They're good members of Faith Community Church. They mess up time and time again, just like the pastor. Because that's the problem. It's not about us getting it perfect. If you came to church today to think that Pastor Stan is going to tell you how to live a perfect life, he's not going to do it. But he is going to tell you we need to learn to trust God, even when we're not perfect, to realize that God will still be faithful and will still be working in our lives, even when we mess up. Because God's God and we're not, and God doesn't think we're going to get it all perfect. That's why Jesus says, judge not, lest you should be judged. We need to learn to trust So now they have some patience, right? Wrong, because now Sarah gets involved. (laughs) Abram, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm 49 years old and I don't think I'm gonna have a child. So why don't you go in and take my handmaiden and pregnant her and she'll have a baby and we'll call it our son. Wow, it's better than days of our lives. And it's all there in the Bible for you to read or listen to. And so he does it. And now they have another problem. (laughs) Because now there's a child, and I'm not saying the child's a problem, but the situation they've created is the problem. And now Hagar, the handmaid, and Sarah are now fighting with each other because she's got the child that the wife was supposed to have. And it's a mess, folks, because that's what we do. When we make a mess out of things, we make a mess out of things. And we go, how did I get here? Finally, at the age of 100. Do not miss that. At the age of 100. And people go, can't be 100. Well, that's what the Bible says. They finally have their child. Took them that long to fully trust. And now at 100, they're able to take Isaac. And Abram says, I'm 100 years old. <laughs> I messed it up every other time. I get it. I can't sacrifice this child because God won't let it happen. I can give this child. I can lay it out. I can do what everybody else is going to say is not rational in any way, shape, or form, but God will not let this child die Amen. because God has promised through this child. And even if this child dies, it's God. God will raise the child again. And finally, after messing it up over all those years, after taking their will back, after believing God, after manipulating, after running out of patience, finally. So you say to your pastor, when am I going to get it? When you're 100. How many 100-year-olds are in here? Bob is. That's okay. You're looking pretty good. Because even when we believe, it still takes us time, amen? Amen. And it's a process. And if that's what it was for the first family, what makes you think you're so special? What makes us think that we're just going to get it all at once? Because it's not our works, it's God's grace. And until we get that concept, we don't understand fully the beauty of the Christian faith. It's God's grace. It's what God does, it's not what we do. Because we're going to mess it up time and time and time again. This is because the final thing that we learn from this family, well, we learn a lot of other things, but it's the final one I'm going to talk to you about, otherwise we'd be here all afternoon, is about breaking cycles. Ooh, we don't like those words. That means I need to change. But it's about learning to break cycles. And that's why we had the reading we did this morning. Because now we have talked about Abraham and Sarah and all the ways they messed up. How many times did Abraham pass his wife off as his sister? Twice. The family finally comes to faith. He finally goes a full distance. How old was he? 100 years old. Now we have a son. His name is Isaac. And he is a man who trusts God. And amazing things happened. Rebecca is his wife. God's been faithful. I was telling Regina this week, I like to have these sidebars. It has nothing to do with this message. (laughs) I was listening to the podcast and rereading through Genesis, and I love it when the servant goes and says, you know, here's how I'm going to find out who the right wife is for Isaac. And he says, I'm going to stop, and somebody's going to bring water for me and take care of the animals. And of course, Rebecca Gives him water and says, May I give water to the animals? I said to Regina, Rebecca's just like you, honey. She doesn't only care about me, she cares about the dog. (laughs) Beautiful, wonderful woman is given to Isaac. And he trusts God. And he knows that God's gonna make them a great nation. But there's cycles, and there's negative cycles. And even when we come to faith, even when we trust God, even when we move through all of it, we still got work to be done, folks. My dad used to say, be careful of the altar call in which the person thinks that they give their life to Jesus and they walk out of church and everything's going to go well. Nope, they walk out of church and all the problems of life are there and all of the negative thinking is there and all of the stuff is happening and that's why God's Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives. So now listen to the son, Isaac, Stayed in Gerar. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, She's my sister. (laughs) Whoa, where'd he learn that one from? He was afraid to say, Where'd he learn that from? She's my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she's so beautiful, like father, like son. Breaking cycles. Twice his dad did this, now Isaac does the same. You see, faith doesn't break cycles. Breaking cycles breaks cycles. Amen? Amen. Let's hear that loud and clear. Faith does not break cycles. Breaking cycles breaks cycles. The Bible's very clear. We trust Jesus. We put our lives in his hand. He forgives us. And now the work takes place, but the work is essential. It's right there in the Bible. Even the first family of faith once they finally get it they still have work to be done and that's going to be the rest of your bible sorry spoiler alert they'll keep messing up and they'll keep messing up and they'll keep messing up as keith green said in one of his songs nobody's perfect except for the lord and even the best gonna fall and that's the story of scripture faith doesn't break cycles Isaac had to face the fact that even with faith, he still had negative cycles in his life. He had stuff he learned from his parents. He had things that he had developed in his own life that he was doing wrong. He and Rebecca were not perfect people, and neither are we. Which is why scripture teaches us as Christians don't walk out into the world and think that you're better than everyone else. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to understand the grace of God's life and God's work in our lives to know that we're forgiven. And having been forgiven, God's working with us and the Holy Spirit transforms our lives but we got to show up to do the work, folks. If we're not willing to show up and do the work, God doesn't have a lot to work with because then we're just in our half measures and we're taking our own will back and doing it our way. So somebody says, so you're telling me, Pastor Stan, that if I need to see a counselor, I need to see a counselor? Absolutely. Also telling you if you have cancer, you need to do the chemo treatment. And if there's issues of addiction, recovery is essential. And there are things that God puts in our lives that we show up for, and then God does the work, but it doesn't happen magically all at once. It's a process. It's all a process of God working in our lives as he was working in the lives of this first couple. As the commercial is famous for saying with Dr. Rick, we can't keep you from becoming your parents. (laughs) Bad news. It's one time that I guess advertisers got it right, didn't they? Same thing is true. We can't keep ourselves from being ourselves. The stuff is there. And so we say, I'm just going to change how I'm thinking. Well, thoughts don't change our feelings. Guess what, folks? Thoughts don't change our feelings. However, actions change our thoughts and our feelings. Once we show up and we start doing the work and we part, putting ourselves in the place where God can do the work in our lives, it's amazing. God does the work and God transforms. And that's what God did with Abraham and Sarah. It just took them 100 years. But they kept moving forward and they had faith and they trusted and it was counted as righteousness and the same thing is true with their son Isaac and with Rebecca. We just continue to show up and trust and God does the work and we take our will back and we go, well, God's given up on me. No, he's not. I have a famous saying that I like. It was said by Austin Loud of Faith Community Church. Stand up, Austin. You get credit for this one. We invited him one day to speak at the glory of God. And he said something that was so profound, I wrote it down. He said, if you woke up this morning, and there's a pretty good chance you did. (laughs) God's not done with you yet. Hear that, folks? If you woke up this morning, and there's a pretty good chance you did, because you all seem to be awake. Well, a couple of you are sleeping, but that's a different story. If you woke up, that was supposed to get a laugh. If you woke up this morning, God's not finished with you yet. There used to be a button, PBB, G-I-N-F-Y. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Those are for ourselves. Because that's what we learn from the first family of faith. We don't learn that God makes us perfect, but God meets us where we are. Half measures? That may be the issue in our life. We invite you. We always invite people to come forward for prayer at the end. If you have some half measures in your life and you'd like to pray for them, we'd like to pray for you. Faith? Struggling? Just trusting? Come forward and have one of the elders of our church pray for you. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Breaking cycles? I shared with you, we have our own cycles in our Cushing family. One day, my daughter-in-law said to me, again, another famous faith community church line, how come it is that everything I don't like about my husband came directly from you, Dad? (laughs) Let that one sink in, folks. God is working in our lives. God's working in our lives. And the question is, will we just keep showing up? Will we trust and believe that God's God and we're not, and we can set aside that perfectionism stuff because it doesn't help us? It only gets us more messed up, and it only screws up with our thinking. Or will we give our lives to God, face where we are, acknowledge it and ask for prayer, and continue to do the work wherever it is? Now, this is where I always... One of these days, the elders are going to pop up and they're going to come forward. The elders of our church are now coming forward because that's their responsibility. Yes, they are. Stand up. Come forward. Judith, I'm going to actually have you be one of the prayers. If you could come over here. If there's something in your life you'd like to have prayed for, come join us. Come forward and ask somebody to have a prayer for you. Because we are not going to be perfect but God is perfect. And we are going to see as we read through the Bible our story over and over and over. Let's be honest and vulnerable about where we are and trust that God is doing his work